You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. Well, here we are, week three already in our Forgiving 40-Day Challenge. So let's review just a little bit. The first week, I introduced the 40-day challenge. And we we focused on the word scars. And we focused on how the scars of Jesus are really what free us from our sins. Then last week, Pastor Gerber, he started out with the S in scars. That little complicated serious word called sin yes it's the s in scars hopefully this week you were able to work through your workbook a little bit and fortunately or unfortunately work through your own sin and that's not a lot of fun is it to work through our own sin. It wasn't a lot of fun to work through Greg Rathke's sin. So this week, we get to take the next step. C for confession. Now, there's all kinds of different ways to confess, but once we sin, we do have choices to do something with our sin. And if you read your Red Letter Challenge this morning, day 13, Zach talks about some different things that you can do with sin other than confess your sins. So we're going to take a look at a few of those this morning. They may not totally match up with Zach's. There's lots of things you can do with sin. We're going to focus on three, kind of three and a half. One option is you can deny your sin. You can deny your sin, and I'm going to combine this a little bit with minimize your sin. Well, I really didn't do that, or it wasn't me, or it really wasn't that big a sin. It really isn't that bad. I only was going 65. I know the speed limit's 60, but I... See how we, de- we deny and, and we can minimize our sin? We do this quite often, don't we, when you think back on it. So what else can you do with your sin? You can hide your sin. I think of a little kid getting his hand caught in the cookie jar. I remember as a kid... Many times mom would make cookies for a special occasion. Usually it was, well, she was in charge of of treats for ladies' aid or Bible study. And she would make a big batch of cookies and she would say, now, I know you want to eat these, but these are for something special. I'll I'll make some cookies a different time that I'll share with you. So you can't have these cookies. And then they'd come out of the oven, and then she would leave the room. 
Well, if I only take one, she'll never know, right? And as you're eating that cookie, mom comes back into the kitchen. And what do you do with that half-eaten cookie? Behind the back it goes. With cookie crumbs on your face and cookie crumbs on your shirt. We try to hide our sin, don't we? Adam and Eve were pretty good at doing everything except confessing their sin. Let's look at Genesis 3, 7 to 10. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. Did you catch that? But the Lord God called in the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And where are you? Obviously, God knew where they were. Let me help you with this one. As a grandparent or as a parent, as an aunt or an uncle, you've played hide-and-seek with little two- and three-year-olds, right? But you always know where they are because they're giggling. And even though you know exactly where they are, what do you ask? Where are you? That's what God's doing here. You see, you can't hide from God. We can't hide our sin from God. But it certainly doesn't stop us from trying. But when we have our hands caught in the cookie jar, well, the cat's out of the bag. The cookie crumbs for Adam and Eve were those fig leaves that they tried to hide their nakedness with. Once Adam and Eve knew God knew they had sinned, there was no hiding their sin. So they took it to the next level. Anyone remember what they did next? It begins with B. Blame. They started the blame game. It's the third way we try to deal with sin. Blame someone else. It's his fault. It's her fault. It didn't take long for Adam and Eve not to take ownership of their very first sin, did it? Let's take a look again at Genesis 3. He, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to me with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So there we go. It's her fault. But not only does Adam blame Eve, who else does he blame? God himself. Yes, God himself. If only God hadn't created this woman to tempt me, I'd be okay. It's your fault, God. Thankfully, we never blame God, right? Right? 
So what about Eve? Who did she blame? Well, let's find out. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. In other words, the devil made me do it. No Eve could have said no. She could have said no. She could have resisted, but she didn't. Adam and Eve successfully completed the trifecta that day, didn't they? They denied, they hid, and they blamed. But are we any different? When it comes to sin, we deny it, we hide it, we blame others. However, there is one more thing we can do with our sin that we can talk about this morning, and we know what that's going to be. What is it? Confess our sin. Bring our sin to the feet of Jesus. It's our get-out-of-jail-free card, isn't it? But you don't always use this card, do you? I know I don't. I deny my sin. I hide my sin. I blame others for my sin. And I don't always certainly confess my sin. And that's a dangerous, slippery slope. By denying, hiding, and blaming, you only keep yourself in bondage. All of your guilt eventually leads to shame. So what do we do? How do we regain solid footing from the sin that pushes and pulls at us relentlessly? The answer is simple. Confession. Bringing our sins to Jesus. That's the choice we make to be set free. To allow our wounds to heal. Last week, Pastor Gerber talked to us about sin. And that's kind of a complicated little word. We understand confession a little bit easier. As Lutherans, we have a pretty good background in confession. We think about our direct relatives of our faith, the Catholics, the Roman Catholics. When I think about that, I think of a priest and I think of a parishioner on the other side of the, of the confession booth confessing their sins. Or think about Lutherans and our divine services. O most merciful God, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended. And you know the rest. Confess. Or maybe you think of confession of someone who's on trial and they're up on a on the stand and they they confessed they confessed their crime whatever it might be in front of a judge confession we understand confession but confession doesn't have to be formal it does not have to be a formal event god is waiting anxiously for us to confess anytime anywhere it's a beautiful invitation from god for us and the results are always freedom. Look at the Apostle John's words in 1 John 1, 8-9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, confession at the end of the day is not meant for you to feel worse about yourself. It's meant to lead you right to the the arms of our loving Savior Jesus. For when you realize that you are weak, you will see that He is strong. What does that remind you of? Jesus loves me. I know it's a little kid song, but it's right on, isn't it? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones are, to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. But it's not they are weak. It's we are weak. We don't really get any stronger as we get older, do we? Physically, we get a lot weaker. But I'm discovering something pretty special as I've been able to do visits of shut-ins and many of the older folks of the congregation. Their faith seems to get stronger as they get older. They lean on the powerful name of Jesus. More than once, I've had members talk to me and tell me, will Jesus forgive me for... And we're talking about holding on to sin for years. And in a couple cases, decades. And when I tell them, no... Jesus forgives all of your sins. There are tears of joy and relief and freedom. Do you have sins that you believe are unforgivable? Well, I'm here today to make sure that you know that I'm very clear that no sin is too great to be forgiven by our loving God. No sin is too great to be forgiven by our loving God. Last week we were reminded that even Peter, the rock, had just committed three big doozies of sins, denying his Lord and Savior Jesus three times. Now it doesn't get much worse than that. And remember, remember that scene when Jesus caught Peter's eye? Luke 22, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the guilt of Peter? Peter, the rock, entrusted with God's greatest possession, the church, He messed up and Jesus died. He would have to live with that fact the rest of his life. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, is it? Because there's an 89th chapter of the four Gospels. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and then Pastor Gerber talked about this 89th chapter of the Gospels. It's the very last one. 
Because it seems after John chapter 20, it's kind of over. But here comes chapter 29, the 89th chapter. It's what we read as our gospel lesson this evening, or this morning, where Peter realizes his risen Lord Jesus is on the shore. It's his third appearance after his resurrection. After John recognizes Jesus, Peter can't help himself. He can't wait to get to Jesus. No roaring to the shore for Peter. It's, I'm jumping in and I'm swimming. Then just a few verses later, after they had finished breakfast on the banks of the Sea of Tiberias, it happens. Jesus restores Peter in a wonderful way. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus made sure that Peter knew he was forgiven. There's another remarkable account of Jesus' love for Peter as an individual, just like Jesus loves us as individuals. And it comes in Mark 16. And it's something I had never really seen before or noticed. Something pretty extraordinary. So I want to read it to you this morning. Mark 16, 6 to 7. And he said to them, this is an angel talking to the women at the tomb, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going to be before you, you to, in Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Did you catch it? Jesus specifically wants Peter to know he's alive. Peter. He could have named anyone in the world. But Peter, the overly ambitious Peter, who asked inappropriately who was the greatest among the disciples. Do you remember that? Peter, whom rebukes, who is rebuked by Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Do you remember that? Peter, who sinks because of lack of faith when he's walking on the Sea of Galilee to get to Jesus. Peter, the rock who morphed into this little pebble on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter, the future leader of the church who didn't believe there was going to be a church after the crucifixion. Peter, who hid in the house with the rest of the disciples after Jesus was crucified and even after he was resurrected. That Peter. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that's right. And Peter. So another little grammar lesson. What part of speech is that little three-letter word and? Conjunction. What a wonderful little conjunction. And Peter. Jesus, in the middle of saving the entire world, wants to make sure that Peter knows that he's alive and this is not the end of the story that Peter has hope because Jesus is alive we have hope because Jesus is alive 
Peter, after hearing the news, must have had a million things flooding through his brain and his heart. Would Jesus really want anything to do with him? How upset was Jesus going to be with him? How disappointed is he going to be in me? What is Jesus' response going to be? But any inhibitions went flying out the window that morning, didn't they? Peter couldn't get to Jesus fast enough. There was nothing more important than restoring his relationship with Jesus. But we have our Peter moments too, don't we? When we, when we just have to restore a relationship with somebody, we'll drive a thousand miles to restore a relationship because we have to make that relationship right. We might even jump out of a boat and swim to shore. But that's what Peter's doing here. He needed to make things right. This was his chance, and he wasn't going to let it pass. Peter had to get to Jesus. Let me repeat that. Peter had to get to Jesus. But we're no different than Peter, are we? We're sinful just like Peter. We have worldly ambitions just like Peter. We sink because of a lack of faith just like Peter. We go from being strong as a rock to feeling like a little pebble. We don't always stand up for biblical truth in this world. And unfortunately, we even deny Jesus in our words and our actions. But we also want to get to Jesus just like Peter. Yes, you were born into sin, but you also have the promise that when you come to Jesus, when you confess your sins to Jesus, He will forgive you. He will forgive all of your sins. Not just the little ones. All of your sins. God knows your heart, and He's ready to hear your confession. But God can see deep enough that even when you don't have the words to express your sorrow or your regret, He can look down deeper into your heart. He knows your sorrow. He knows your tears. And rather than trying to come to God all buttoned up like we do sometimes, not knowing what to say, how to confess, like everything has to be perfect with just the right words, what if you just come to Jesus with your heart? That's what Peter did in our gospel lesson. When he got to the shore, when Peter finally gets to the shore, when he got to Jesus, he didn't say a word. He broke bread with his friend Jesus. He broke bread with his Lord and Savior, Jesus. He didn't have to say anything. Jesus already knew Peter's heart. And Jesus knows your heart. So we're going to enter into a confession time now. So doing something a little bit different. We're going to open our hearts to Jesus. Lay our sins at the foot of the cross. Some of you might have done this exercise this week. It was on page 66. True story. When I got my book, my 40-day challenge book, I put it on my desk, I opened it up, it went right to the page of confession, listing all of these horrendous, big doozy sins. And I'm like, I don't want to look at these. 
Because I know I'm going to have to put yes on a lot of them. But that's what we're going to do this morning. But in confession, we have the promise of God's forgiveness. So we're going to collectively and individually bring all of our sin, even the worst, to Jesus this morning. And here's the real truth about confession. God doesn't care how you come to Him. He just wants you to come to Him. It's bigger than coming to God formally and saying magic words. It's not something to fear when we confess. It's not something to dread. It's an invitation. Jesus gives us, uh, gives us an invitation to come to, to Him to confess, to be forgiven, to be free. Jesus says, my perfection can handle your imperfection. He says, my holiness is greater than your unholiness. So we can go to Him with all of our sins. Here we go. Have you ever lusted after something or someone that wasn't yours? Do you have anything in your life that you regret? Do you have anything in your life that you are constantly ashamed of? Have you ever cut yourself or intentionally harmed yourself? Have you ever physically, verbally, or sexually abused someone else? Have you ever abused drugs or alcohol? Have you ever thought about or attempted suicide? Have you ever had a sexual relationship outside of marriage? Do you have any secrets that you've never shared with anyone? Are you doing anything wrong that you can't quit? Have you purposely and willingly viewed pornography? Have you ever lied to someone in an effort to hide your actions? If you're like me, you're convicted right now. But I also know many of you very well. And for many of you, these big doozies was a resounding no. No, I haven't done that. No, I haven't done that. So maybe you're thinking right now, well, maybe I'm not such a big sinner. While some of you are going, wow, I'm a bigger sinner than I thought. So for those of you who are going, Maybe I'm not so bad. What about those sins of omission? 
the things that we should be doing, but we don't, that we omit from our lives, things like this. How did you take care of the orphans yesterday? Did you feed the hungry after you helped the orphans? How did you take care of the sick this week? How did you take care of the widow? Some of you might be saying, oh, I forgot about those sins. This is impossible. That's right. It is impossible. Because we are all born into sin. Whether it's sins of commission or whether it's sins of omission. We are sinful just like Peter. But we are also forgiven just like Peter. I'm forgiven. You are forgiven. Remember that Monopoly card that I flashed up there earlier in the service? Do you remember what it said? This card may be kept until needed or sold. Jesus is our get-out-of-jail-free card, and we need him every day. And he never runs out of his cards. He never runs out of his cards. They are unlimited. Someone paid the price for your sin, and that someone is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there you have it. Your God, my God, loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save you and to save me. And because of his amazing grace, you are forgiven. Romans 5, 20 to 21. His grace is greater than all of our sin. Now the law came in to increase the trespass or the sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace increased all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, like Paul says, God's grace is greater than all of our sins. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. Reminds me of another song that we sing at Trinity. Grace that is greater. So I'm going to sing the first verse. If you know it, you can sing it with me. I know you're going to know the, the refrain. We're just going to sing the first verse. It's powerful enough. And then the refrain is all about grace being greater than all of our sin. So let's sing. 
Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Yes, God's grace is greater than all of our sin. God's grace is greater than all of your sin. Amen? Amen.